You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning. Doing well, I hope. Awesome, awesome. Good to see you. Listen, if you're new here, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Marco Salazar. I am the lead pastor. Thank you so much for making Radiant a part of your weekend. I want to just briefly, briefly overview just a few things, of course. So this coming Friday is our Good Friday service, our very first in-person Good Friday service. That will be at 1 p.m. Yeah, go ahead and clap. Give you permission to clap. And that will be at 1 p.m. And we're going to have worship and prayer and scripture reading. Some of our leaders and staff will read through some of that passion narrative, pray through that, and then we'll take communion together. So make sure you're here for that. The next day is the Easter Egg Dash. Thousands of eggs, free food, free everything. It's going to be an amazing event. This is one of our biggest outreaches of the entire year. So make sure you're here for that as well. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday, three services, 8 o'clock, 9.30, 11.15. If you're able and you can, if you wouldn't mind switching to that 8 a.m., making a bit more room for the 9.30 and 11.15, that would be Phenomenal. So we appreciate that. It's going to be a very busy weekend, but we're excited to have all of you here and to see what God will do in our midst. Um, Radiant Church, I need your help with something. So I'm coming to you with a plea of help. Would you, we need about at least maybe five or six more people for this coming weekend for a parking lot team. Help to direct traffic because we know we will have overflow parking. We know it will be busy. If you are interested, if you're not doing anything, if you're not serving anywhere, that would be great for you to do something and help us out here, all right? (laughs) But for real, serve and be a part of that weekend and serve in that capacity either Friday, maybe even Saturday, or one of the services on Sunday. If that's you, we can give you a vest, we'll give you a traffic wand, and you'll have the time of your life, I promise you. So listen, that's right. So after church, come see me, come see Bill Bader. He's the, the older guy, missing a little bit of hair on top, glasses. He's one of our elders here, and we'll get your name, number, and we'll get you set up. Bill will take care of the rest, and we'll get you serving on Easter weekend. Now, that being said, if you come here on Easter Sunday or Good Friday, and you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot find a parking spot. Now, that's becoming more of the norm, and I'm hearing all about it, I promise you, okay? So listen, don't fret, okay? Don't fret. We have some alternative parking for right now. We're working on some solutions, and we can only move as fast as we possibly can. But listen, we have overflow parking at the elementary school at Lincoln, Banger Lincoln Elementary. Their principal has told us that we can park there now, forevermore, pretty much, okay? Now, listen, if you come here and that's the case on Easter Sunday, can I just speak to the husbands for just a moment? Husbands, don't make your wife and kids walk all the way from over there. Come in and drop them off at the door, okay? And then you yourself drive over there, and then you can make that walk. I want to avoid kids and elderly people walking across the street. I want to just kind of keep it as safe as possible. So listen, drop your families off at the door and then come back around, drop, or park the car, come back in, okay? So listen, um, you can park there on Easter Sunday just in case or even next door um, at, the, at the driveway next door. 
there's extended parking there as well for next weekend, okay? So lots of things coming up, and I need your help. We need your help, but we're excited again for all that God will do with us coming Easter Sunday. Okay, listen. Well, today, listen, we're taking a break from Christ culture and church, and we're going to go back into it in June, and um, we're going we're gonna to finish that out probably another, I don't know, maybe four or five more weeks. I'm not quite sure, but we'll, we'll finish that out, that series, and, and I promise you it will, it will be good. Um, but for today, listen, we are in Palm Sunday, of course, and we have a message called The Unexpected King. Now, Palm Sunday, of course, uh, comes annually, and this really is the day that marks Jesus' triumphal entry into where? Jerusalem. Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem as the king, and eventually, obviously, obviously, he will be going to the cross. And this marks the beginning, as Marcus said, of Holy Week, or some people call this Passion Week. Why do we call it Passion Week? We call it Passion Week because of the very passion of Jesus himself, who was willingly, who willingly went to the cross to pay for the sins of his people. Now, the story that we'll look at this morning, this Palm Sunday story, is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today, though, we're going to focus on Mark's Gospel. So we'll be in Mark chapter 11, and we're going to pick it up in the the very beginning of that chapter in verse number 1. If you have a smartphone or a Bible, I want you to join me there so we can... Uh, So we can read that together, and the verses will be behind me as well. I want to read through this. There'll be some commentary. I'll pray us out, and then we'll get into the rest of our message for the morning. So church, join me in verse number one. Here's what it says, Mark 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, well, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Let's pause here for just a moment. This is actually a very important point in Scripture, because at this point with Jesus Riding in on a colt or a donkey, listen, Jesus is fulfilling messianic scripture, and that is found, that is prophecy that's written about Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, this one specifically comes from the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9, and it was written some 500 years before this event is happening here. Now, people ask me, can I trust the Bible? How do I know if I can trust the Bible? That's a great question. And you've heard me say it often, and I'll say it again. Prophecy is one of the surefire ways that you can trust the Gospels. You can trust the Bible. You can trust that it was truly written by God himself. It's because there are literally hundreds of prophecies written in the Old Testament concerning the birth, the life of Jesus that were written hundreds of years or 500 years before Jesus came. In fact, conservatively speaking, okay, now because scholars kind of debate on this, but conservatively speaking, Jesus 
Him coming to the earth fulfills around 300 prophecies, you guys, written in the Old Testament some 500, 700 years before they ever happened. The Bible is consistent. You can trust it. Let's keep moving on here. Verse number four. Then they found a coat outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they entered it, some people standing there asked, oh, what are you doing untying that coat? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the field. So picture this for a moment. Jesus is riding in on this colt. And what is a cloak? A cloak is a piece of garment that they would wear in the first century. It actually tied around the neck, and it went all the way down near to the ankles. So they're taking this cloak off. It usually um, shielded them from the sun and the elements of the weather. They take the cloaks off, and they put it on the donkey, the colt. He rides in on this, and then they're spreading palm branches um, on the path that Jesus is taking as he's coming into Jerusalem. Now, why would people do this? Like, why spread cloaks and, and why spread garments? This seems like a highly unusual practice for people living in modern times like, we, like, like us, right? And so here's the reason why they're doing this. They're doing this because this was the, the customary way of of honoring a king or paying homage to a king, paying reverence and respect to a king. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 9, which is found in the Old Testament, again, in the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. That's why you should read the Old Testament, even the parts that are hard to read, even the parts that don't make sense, even the parts that seem gruesome. I promise you, it all comes together. The storyline comes together in the New Testament. But in 2 Kings chapter 9, this is the way a particular king was treated. His name was King Jehu. And they laid down palm branches, garments, as he entered in to pay homage to him as a king. Let's finish up the story. Verse number nine. Now those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple courts and he looked around at everything. And since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. We'll end right there. I want to take a few moments. I want us to pray together. And then we're going to get into the rest of our message for this morning, Palm Sunday, an unexpected king. We're going to talk about Jesus, the unexpected expected king. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together for just a moment, church. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your presence already here in this building among us right now. Father, I believe you're going to change lives today. You're going to change hearts today, God. You are literally going to change someone's life today for the first time. I'm believing that, God. So would you do the work I cannot do? Would you open blind eyes? Would you unlock some of our deaf ears so we can hear the Spirit? Would you um, soften, harden hearts? Because so often our world is just full of heartbreak. And as a result, some of our hearts are hardened to you. We're stubborn. So Father, we need the Spirit to soften hearts this morning. Go before us. We want to we welcome King Jesus, but not the King that we've contrived in our heads. 
And not the King Jesus that we see culture talks about, but we want the Jesus Scripture talks about. We want the true Jesus. We want him, and we welcome him this morning. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray, God, that you would change lives, change hearts today. Lord, bring people to repentance who need to turn away from wickedness, from evil, from relationships they have no business being in, God. Father, bring them to you. And as you do, you'll melt hearts. You'll change lives. You'll fill us with joy, with purpose, with fulfillment. Lord, you will do a new work in us and we will celebrate, God. We will celebrate because you are so good, God. You are so good. Your mercy endures forever. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. Church, let me ask you a question this morning. And the question is this, how do you deal with unmet expectations? How do you deal with unmet expectations? I want to ask you a few questions so we can make this really practical today so you can understand where I'm going. My wife was talking to one of her friends recently and she was telling her that she just recently went to a John Mayer concert. But she left the concert feeling disappointed because she expected that John Mayer would do all of his smash hits and some of her favorite songs. And to her disappointment, he did not do those songs. Maybe you've been in the same situation. You've gone to see your favorite artist, musical artist, and you leave disappointed because they as well didn't perform your favorite songs or, or, or the song that's always on the radio. Maybe, perhaps you've been here. Maybe you've booked a hotel online. You've booked an, an Airbnb online, right? Only to get to that destination, to get to the hotel, you know, the Airbnb, the condo, the house, whatever it is. And you're disappointed. Why? Because you realize that the pictures, the photos are better than the real thing. And you're not trying to complain because like, that's first world problems, right? Because you have an Airbnb, you have a home, okay? But you're like, man, I thought the bathroom was going to be bigger. Like, yeah, me too. Wasn't there a deck out here to look at the ocean? I thought there was supposed to be one too, right? What, what about the size of the living room, right? And you're like, ah, and you're not trying to complain. But again, there's unmet expectations. The hotel room is way smaller than you thought it was. And you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to kill each other in this room, right? You know how that goes, okay? Unmet expectations. How, how about this one? Have you ever um, had a birthday or maybe uh, during Christmas, and you expected a gift, right? There's a gift. But you didn't just expect the gift. You dropped some heavy hints to your spouse. You're like, you're, you're dropping heavy, heavy. You're like, you're like sending links. Like, hey, did you get the text I sent you? It's got a, it's got a link to somewhere, right? And you're, you're expecting this particular gift. My wife and I, for Christmas, um, we are not ones that buy each other extravagant gifts. I mean, it's just not who we are. We gift each other, you know, with like vacations and things like that. Like, hey, you got the new washing machine. <laughs> All right. It's like, we're going to Florida in a few weeks. Okay. You know what I mean? It's not that we don't love each other. It's not that we don't buy each other gifts because we do. We just, we're just not extravagant in that nature. Okay. So every year, um, my wife, we, we both enjoy, enjoy reading. So we'll always buy each other a few books. And so my wife, Carrie, will say, hey, why don't, honey, why don't you put some of your favorite books that, that you want 
on your Amazon list, and, I, and I'll take care of those. And I'm like, I'll get you two or three for Christmas or whatnot. And I'm like, oh, okay, awesome. So I'll do that. And then, so this year, Christmas rolls around. I'm like, you know, unwrapping the gifts. I'm like, okay, like this is, uh, all right, like, mm, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, hey, did you, um, did, did, you, did you get the other book? She's like, no. I'm like, mm. And she's like, are you serious? I'm like, what? And I, unmet expectations. She's like, babe, just tell me the book you want then and I'll get it for you. I'm like, all right, okay, okay, okay. I'll learn, I've learned my lesson, right? Just tell the other person the gift you want so they can get it for you. It's an unmet expectation. But more seriously, listen, how many of you know that when an expectation goes unmet, it can lead to serious disappointment? It can lead, listen, when we're expecting one thing and then we get a totally different thing, have you ever been there? It's like, oh, man, I didn't think it was going to be like that. Like, you're kind of bummed out. You're disappointed. You know what I mean? It's like you go to a restaurant and everyone's raving about it. And you buy the food and you're like, that was not that good. Like, you want to go to the drive-thru at McDonald's? Yeah, okay. Me too, right? Because you're still hungry. An unmet expectation. When you think things are going to go one way and they go away completely different, it can lead to frustration, maybe even anger, and, of course, disappointment. Now, as we look at this story... In Mark chapter 11 here, with Jesus' triumphal entry, theologians or scholars, they will call this a triumphal entry. But can I tell you that this was nothing, nothing like a Roman triumph of that day. You see, the Romans were exceptionally gifted at putting on parades and public events, like giant parties. They were, they were excellent when they did this. In fact, I want to give you one artist's rendition of what a Roman triumph might look like. Now, leave that photo up there. And for our friends online, maybe they'll throw it online for you for just a few seconds as well. But a Roman general, listen, when he went off to battle and he would come back and he would have this great conquest, the Romans would, would welcome him back into Rome with his elaborate parade, right? With this elaborate celebration. And a part of this parade would be this. It would be, they would parade through the streets, the trophies, you know, and the spoils of victory. A part of that would be the actual, the illustrious captives that they had conquered. So literal people like caged up or in chains would be paraded through the streets and the people would applause and they would cheer, of course. Now, notice in that photo there, or that, that illustration, that the Roman general is riding in on a golden chariot. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not just any chariot. This is a golden chariot. This is the Mercedes-Benz. This is the, the Escalade of chariots. This is the Range Rover of chariots, okay? So they, he rode in on a golden a uh, golden chariot, the priests would burn incense in his honor and the people would shout his name, Caesar, hail Caesar, and they would literally praise him and worship him. Finally, this parade would come to a close. It would come to an end in the arena or maybe the Colosseum you're familiar with. And it would end, the crowds would gather in the Colosseum. And there, listen, the captives would fight or do battle, I guess you could say, with wild beasts. And most of the time, this would result in the captives losing their lives to the utter delight of the audience, right? 
They would cheer as these individuals literally were ripped to pieces by lions and, and, and other ferocious animals. This is the same treatment that the early Christians actually received themselves. And so this was a Roman triumph. I mean, big, elaborate, celebratory. They went all out. And as we look, listen, as we look at Jesus' triumph here, at his triumphal entry, this is almost the complete opposite of what the Romans would be used to, of what the Jewish people even expected. I want you to notice, of course, that Jesus doesn't ride in on a golden chariot. He rides in on a what? A colt with cloaks that are covering the colt so he can ride on top of it. Jesus doesn't come in with a giant procession, does he? He doesn't come in with this giant parade. Jesus rather comes in just lowly and by himself. Jesus doesn't come in as this conquering warrior because, listen, this is what the Jewish people expected. The Jews expected that Jesus would come in as a conquering warrior, that he would slay their enemies, that he would free them of Roman oppression. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus comes in as this lowly servant king, and Jesus has come to free them, not of Roman occupation, but of their sin. Jesus has come to set them free of their sin. In fact, scholars and commentators say, I read this in one commentary, he said this, that a Roman general had to kill at least 5,000 enemy soldiers to marry it as a triumph. 5,000 enemy soldiers. That's an enormous amount of bloodshed. Jesus doesn't kill 5,000 enemy soldiers. But we can say this, that a a week later, over 5,000 Jews would be conquered by the gospel. And they would have their lives transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. So Jesus' triumph, church, is not, listen, what the Jews expected. Rather, Jesus' triumph, listen, is a victory of love, over hatred, of victory, or of truth, over lies. And it was a victory of life over death. Jesus was an unexpected king. Now, I wonder, though, if we, the church, if we in culture today, because I know that some of you in here are still exploring faith, and that's great. We're, We're so honored that you're here. We're so honored that you're listening to the gospel, which is very, very offensive to many people these days. The gospel is incredibly offensive. I'm so honored that you would listen to it and maybe grit your teeth at a few parts of my message. But listen, many people in our culture have placed expectations upon Jesus that are unrealistic. And let me just put it bluntly, they're expectations that are not rooted in Scripture. And so, so many people, even in the church, have expectations of God, expectations of Jesus, listen, that are not rooted in scripture or in reality, but they're contrived in their head. And it sounds like a Jesus, listen, that is more like the world. It sounds like a Jesus that more like culture has preached to us. So I wonder if we, some of us today, have expectations of God or of Jesus. Listen, it's just not real. It, It doesn't come from scripture. And so you're thinking, okay, maybe, maybe not. Let me give you a few examples. And these are just examples that I've seen and heard before. Perhaps some of you are in here, and when you think of God, when you think of Jesus, listen, you're watching online, and you think of who God is, listen, you expect, your expectation is that God would just do your bidding, that God is a divine butler, that God is a divine bellhop, that you ring the bell, and God does your will, 
not the other way around. You don't do his will, he does your will. So when you think of God and when you think of, of Christianity and the faith, you think, well, God's just supposed to, he's supposed to make all my dreams come true. He's supposed to make me happy. I'm the, the centerpiece. I'm the focal point. God is like my, my Santa Claus in the sky. But that's just not true. That's not rooted in Scripture, right? Because what happens, listen, church, what happens when all your dreams don't come true? What happens when life turns an unexpected there's an unexpected turn in your life, and, and there's tragedy. There's an accident. There's something that you, didn't, you couldn't predict. And so many people, if they think that God is simply their divine butler, will walk away from their faith. Why? Because they've placed an expectation that's just not rooted in Scripture. It was an expectation that they contrived in their own head. It was the world. It was culture. What about this one? Some of us maybe here, we expect when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the Christian faith, we just think that, that God is going to make us healthy, wealthy, and happy. God's role is just to make me healthy, wealthy, and happy. God's in it for me. It's all about me, right? If I'm not happy, God just wants me to be happy. God, I just think God wants me to be happy, Pastor Marco. No, he wants you holy, actually. No, yes. Wait, are you saying God doesn't care about my happiness? I'm not saying he wants you miserable. I'm saying God wants your holiness more than he wants your happiness. Because listen, what happens in life? What happens, listen, when somebody gets sick? What happens when, when he gets cancer and he dies far too early of an age? What happens when you get sick? What happens when the car accident takes place? And you thought the whole time that God was just in it to make you healthy, wealthy, and happy. What do you do with that? So many people wave their fists at God. Why? Because they thought that God was simply there to make them healthy, wealthy, and happy. And if you don't understand that God's sovereignty, if you don't understand a bigger picture of who God is, it's not as simple as that. It's way more complex, actually. Listen, you're likely to run away from God, to blame him, to wave a fist at him, to become angry, because God's not simply in it to make us healthy, wealthy, and happy. What about this one? We see this so often in culture today. Some people expect that God is simply exists to affirm everything they do. Yeah. God just simply is supposed to affirm my choices, my lifestyle. He's in it for me. Maybe we painted a, a picture or a portrait of Jesus who is more like a divine self-help coach than Jesus. He's come to cheer me on, but not to change me. Friends, can I just tell you, that's not the picture we see in Scripture. That's an inaccurate view that you have. He's just cheering me on. He don't want to change. He don't care about changing me. No, 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 no. Listen, he loves you. But listen, he loves you so much, his love transforms you, changes you, right? Well, I just expected that God would just affirm my lifestyle, my sinful choices. But you're telling me, Pastor Marco, that he wants me to turn away from those things? He wants me to, to turn away from a lifestyle that's contrary to his word? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, actually. But doesn't God love me? Yeah, 100% he loves you. He loves you just where you're at right now, wherever you're at. But he loves you enough not to leave you where you're at. He loves you enough not to leave you where you're at. That's where you've missed it. That's where you've got it wrong. There's some things you're holding on to, and God's like, yeah, listen, let me define love, not you. 
And so often right now what we see in our culture is we have people defining love, but we're not defining it God's way. We're defining it our way. It's causing chaos and confusion and heartache for so many people. Unfortunately, we see this in, in, in many Christian circles even Today, we, we of course want the God who loves everyone. We want the God who will, will cure all of society's ills. We want the social justice God. We want a God who will help our dreams come true. But so often what, what I see is we don't want the God who calls us to repent, to obey, and to follow. And church, listen, that may offend you, and I understand that, but the truth ultimately sets you free. I don't want you with a skewed picture of what Christianity is. That God just simply affirms everything I do. It's just not the case. And so again, listen, we have these false and these unrealistic expectations of what we just expect God will do. We just expect Jesus will be like this. And what's happened is, is we've contrived Jesus. We've contrived Jesus in our own mind. And, and, and if we're not careful, what, we, what we've really done is we've, we're just worshiping ourselves. We're just worshiping a God that we've contrived in our own head. But you know what that is? Idolatry. <laughs> it's idolatry because you're not worshiping the, the true Jesus. Again, I know it's offensive, but I'm here to give you truth because truth leads to freedom. Freedom because I love you. And love is truth, right? So for the remainder of our time, okay, Pastor Marco, I'm pissed at you right now. Excuse my language. I'm upset at you. Okay, I'm, excuse my language. I'm upset at you. Tell me who this real Jesus is then. If I'm wrong, if, I, if he doesn't affirm everything I do, if he's not in it just to make me happy and wealthy and healthy, who is Jesus? Well, let's talk about it right now. Let's talk about it right now. I want to talk about the threefold ministry of Jesus. Here's what I want to talk about to you today, folks. Jesus came as our Savior. Jesus came as our high priest. Jesus came as our king. This is the picture scripture gives us. Jesus came as our savior. Jesus came as our high priest. Jesus came as our king. So let me describe that. What is that? What does that mean? Well, let's go into it. Let's look at these one at a time, okay? And we're gonna figure out who is the true Jesus because I know, I know social media has a picture of Jesus and your favorite influencer has a picture of Jesus, but I don't know if it's accurate. So let's, let's try to root this in scripture so we can get an accurate view. Because I, I, I don't want to see you disappointed on the back end of this thing. Okay? I don't want to see that happening. You leaving the church. I hate the pastor there. He doesn't love people. Listen, I just want you to have an accurate picture of what we see in scripture. Can we do that? Awesome. Yes. Now we're moving. Number one, Jesus is our Savior. I'm passionate because lives are at stake here. That's why I'm passionate. Jesus is our Savior. Listen, the title alone implies one thing, that we can't save ourselves. The title alone implies that, listen, we need saving from something. What is it? It's our sin. We need saving from our sin, you guys. I need saving from my sin, okay? And this may seem elementary, but it's not. It's mind-boggling, but it's not elementary, it's the gospel. You see, we can't earn our salvation by good works. You can't perform your way into the kingdom of heaven, okay? Listen, good works should mark the Christian, but we are not working for love. We work from love. Come on, someone. We work from the love of Christ. 
We're not working so he can love us, so he can accept us, so we can have the golden ticket, right? Willy Wonka, okay? We're not working for that. We're working from a place of love that we're in Christ. But the idea is this, yes. The idea is this, is that we can't somehow even get our own act together to be good enough, you guys. We must acknowledge that we have rebelled against the holy God in both word and deed. We've rebelled against the holy God in word and deed. Listen, only Jesus can save us from our sin. Only Jesus. And what God calls sin is sin. We have to be able to understand that, to hear that. I know it's offensive. I know it will anger some of you in here this morning. We have a lot of people coming to Radiant Church now, okay? And I know some of you are unchurched, but I want you to know Jesus, the real Jesus, okay? Verse number nine says this, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, this is the crowd, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That word Hosanna literally means God saves. God saves. Who saves? God saves. Not Marco, not you, not the president, not a ruler, not an elected official. God saves. Hosanna, God saves. Jesus is the perfect God-man. He is uniquely qualified to save us. Well, how so? Okay, Jesus' father was God, okay, our heavenly father. So that gives him a divine being, a divine nature. And that means that Jesus was what? Without sin, okay, without sin. But Jesus was also born of a virgin named Mary. So that gives him his human nature. And therefore, Jesus is uniquely qualified to what? To save us, to save us from ourselves, essentially to save us from our sin. Jesus underwent a humiliating death, death on a cross, death on a cross. But three days later, he was raised to life, proving to be who he said he was, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. He rose to life. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And that's why we can trust him. We're going to celebrate that next Sunday, amen, church? We're going to celebrate that resurrection. Because listen, it, it's really, it, it all sort of rests on the resurrection, of course. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by, what's the word there, church? Grace, unmerited favor is what that means. Grace that you've been saved through, what is that word? Faith. What is faith? It means ultimately it's trust. It's the Greek word pistis. It's, it's to wholly depend on something else, right? When you sit in that chair, you have faith that the chair will hold you up, right? That's what this is really speaking of. Faith in Christ. You're no longer trusting yourself. This is not from yourselves, Paul says. It's a gift of God. Not by works. You can't work for it. So that what? So that no one can boast. And so, listen, God knew that if we could boast about our salvation, we would. We would. We would. We'd be like, hey, look what I've done. Hey, look, look how much I gave. Hey, look, look at the project I just got done. Hey, 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 look at me. I'm awesome. Hey, look at all the good work. Oh, you're not there yet? Oh, you didn't get there, huh? Yeah. Well, you know what? You got to work a little harder. You know, you might want to take a page from my book. And let me show you a few things I've done. And, uh, you know, I got myself into heaven. You did. I did. It was a lot of work, but I'm a good person. You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. Oh, really? Yeah. God knew that if we could boast, we would boast, we would brag to one another. And let me just say this, church, and I say this with all the love that I can muster in my heart. You, however, are not uniquely qualified to save yourself. And I'm not unique, uniquely qualified to save myself. Like, I want you to think of it like this. You, you cannot be both the problem and the solution. 
You cannot be both the problem and the solution. You're not actually good enough. I'm not actually good enough. But here's what our culture teaches, okay? Our culture teaches this. Influencers teach this, okay? They're just like, hey, pop psychology teaches this. Hey, if you, hey, if you just look on the inside of yourself, hey, you have all the answers you need. You just got to search. Search your heart. Search your heart and you're going to find everything to fix your life. It's all within you if you're just focusing on you. If you just look beneath you. When I look at myself, I just see wickedness. I don't know about you guys, but... Right? You have everything you need. You have all the necessary answers to fix your life. How many of you tried that? Really? You, you fixed your life? You're, you, did, you did it yourself, huh? Listen, I'm all for self-esteem. That's awesome. We need self-esteem. We can clap for that, okay? But listen... You don't have the answers to fix yourself. You don't have all the answers to fix your own life. You can't save yourself. Listen, we, we desperately need help. But here's the, here's the key, church. We need help outside of ourselves. Outside of ourselves, right? Outside of ourselves. In fact, here's the reality. Only when we know him can we know us. Only when you are in Christ can you know who you are. Well, I'm just searching. I know everyone's searching for who they are. I'm searching for my identity. I don't know who I am, how I feel. That's fine. Everyone's going through that. I get it. I get it, right? But can I just tell you, only until you know him can you know yourself. The more you look at Jesus, the more you'll be able to understand what's happening in the inside of the human heart, right? So I'm not going to point you to yourself because you're just going to fall flat. You're going to fall short. You're going to be empty. You're going to fall in the same rut over and over and over again, church. But when we, when we look outside of ourselves to Jesus, listen, we find the one who will save us from ourselves. Amen? Number two, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our high priest. Now, this is a term that we don't use in modern days. So let me explain this from the Bible's perspective. In the Old Testament, the high priest, his main role, he was a mediator, essentially, between the people and God. The high priest was responsible for the sacrifices in the temple and the altar. The, the high priest was a representative, really, a representative of the people to God. And so in the Old Testament, you can read it yourself, but in the Old Testament, uh, once a year, it was annually, once a year, the high priest would enter into the tabernacle, he would enter into the temple, and he would sacrifice an animal for the sins of the nation of Israel. And on that day, listen, there would be atonement for the whole nation. He would atone for the sins of the nation, okay? He would atone for the sins of the nation. Now, in the New Testament, we live in New Testament times, don't we? So in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says this. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5 says that Jesus is our high priest. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Marco? That means Jesus is the go-between. Jesus is the mediator between people and God. Jesus is uniquely qualified because why? Because he gave his life. And again, unlike the old Testament high priest, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices over and over and over again. Why? Because Jesus himself was that sacrifice. Jesus himself was that sacrifice. He is our high priest. Let me, um, let me make this very, very simple for you in case you're still trying to figure this whole role out. When I was in Grand Rapids, I first had moved there. I was attending graduate school uh, for my seminary degree. And... Um, I was looking for a job, and my, my one buddy from class, he had gotten a job at Calvary Church as 
part of the facility's staff, which is a glorified title for custodian, okay? So a very large church has like many, many custodians part-time. So I told Eric, I was like, Eric, I need a job. And Eric's like, okay, we might be hiring. I said, man, could you get me an in? Eric, come on. Come on, dog. You got to give me an in. I'm like, will you go to your boss and put a good word in for me and let him know? Like, I would be willing to interview, you know, go through the process, and hopefully maybe I'll get a job. He says, I'll put a good word in, in for you. So Eric goes to his boss, which eventually became my boss. His name was Earl. He goes to his boss and says, hey, I got a buddy from seminary. His name's Marco. He needs a job. I think, you know, he might be a great candidate, trustworthy, you know, loves the Lord, all those things. And so listen, a few days later, I get a call from Earl. Earl's like, hey, I want you to come in for an interview. And about two weeks later, I get the job, okay? I get the job. Because of myself? No, not because of me. Because Eric was the one who was the go-between. He was the mediator between me and Earl. I couldn't just go in Earl's office and be like, hey, man, I'm who you want to hire. I'm sitting right here. Look at me how great I am. No, I needed someone to go in between, to put in that good word, to put in a recommendation. And Eric was the mediator. Eric was in some sense, the priest for me, and we need a high priest. We don't stand in God's presence in our own accomplishments, in our own achievements, right, with the good things that we've done. No, no, no. We come under and through the blood of Jesus. Come on, someone. Woo! Number three, Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king. Now, the position of kingship implies sovereign authority and rule over all. If you're a king, you have sovereign authority and rule over all. This is Jesus' role in our lives today. And Jesus has the only right to be called king. Why? Because the Bible calls him the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's reigning in heaven. Every knee ultimately must bow to King Jesus. Every knee, every heart must ultimately bow to King Jesus. And listen, those, those of us who will acknowledge Christ as king and Lord or master over us, we will, reign, we will rule and reign with him. Those of us who don't acknowledge Jesus as king and ruler over our lives, we will be judged by him. In fact, the Bible says that we're storing up wrath for us the longer that we wait to turn to Christ. Now, I know people don't like to hear that in church, but this is the truth, that those who decide that they're going to put off their decision, those who decide that they're better off, those who decide, listen, that they can do it on their own, listen, are essentially storing up the wrath of God for them, okay? So here's the idea, church. The weight of eternity hangs on this solemn decision. It's the weight of eternity. What does that mean, Marco? It means this. If Jesus is going to be king over your life, okay, this is what it means. It means there needs to be a surrendering of your will to his will. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. There needs to be a surrendering of your will to his will. Okay? The Bible talks about this with the word repentance. It literally means that having a change of mind, starts with the, it starts with your thoughts, having a change of mind that leads to a change of, change of behavior, okay? 
The Lexham Bible Dictionary describes repentance in this way. The Hebrew word that most closely approximates repent or repentance is translated into English as, here it is, church, return. I love that. Return. It's like come back home. Come back to where you belong. Return, which basically means to, to turn around and go in the opposite direction. Turn around and go in the opposite direction. So what, what that means is this. If you're traveling down one road in one direction, to repent, to return, literally means that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna turn the car around. You're going to do that number, right? Mm. You're going to head in the opposite direction. Here's what I mean. I mean this. I mean that one season in your life, your, your life is marked by rebellion and disobedience and dishonor to God. And then you turn around. And what? And then now you're, you're, your life is marked by what? Obedience to Christ. Obedience to Christ. Yeah. Yeah, this is what the Bible actually calls us to. The Bible calls us to. And this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. Some people in culture have deemed this as a bad thing. No, it's like a really, really good thing. Okay, it's a really good thing. Because when we say good, the word good, let's, let's let God define what good is and what is evil. The problem that we have so much right now in our world is that we have tried to define good and evil, and we jacked everything up. We just made a mess. We're making a mess. Why? Because we're trying to be Lord. We're trying to be judge. We're trying to just play God. This is good. This is evil. The problem is what we've done is this. If we've, we've called what is good evil, and we've called what is evil good. We've got it backwards, church. The world has got it backwards, and I want you to see that, as offensive as that might be. We have it backwards, right? So this morning, um, I want to invite you into something. I want to give you an invitation, if you take it. Would you welcome Jesus this morning? Would you welcome Jesus this morning? But I'm not talking about the Jesus of culture. And I'm not talking about the Jesus that you've contrived in your head. I'm not talking about the Jesus that we see on social media at times. I'm talking about the Jesus of Scripture. Would you welcome that Jesus this morning? Jesus as Savior. Jesus as your high priest. Jesus as King. And again, what that means is there needs to be a surrendering of your will for His will. There needs to be a divine exchange. Your sin for His righteousness. Your sin for his righteousness. What does that require, Pastor? I want to know. What does that require? I want to be honest with you, okay? And, and some of you won't like this response, but I got to be honest with you. Here's what it requires. Total surrender. Total and absolute surrender to Christ. Total surrender to his lordship. Some of you, you've tried to fix your life over and over again. Some of you have looked to sex. You've looked to drugs. You've looked to anything and everything. Why? Because you're trying to make yourself happy. It's not going to work. I promise you it won't. But I'm pretty happy right now. You might be. Maybe you are. It's temporary, though. It's temporary. I've known people in the midst of their suffering with cancer who found joy and purpose in life because of Jesus Christ. It won't come from you. It won't come from you just finding yourself. It won't come by another sexual relationship. It won't come by living a lifestyle contrary to the word of God. 
and you're like, well, here's the thing, Marco. I, I got feelings. I got feelings too. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I just want to be honest. I got feelings too. And here's what I want to say. I want to just say this. So often, we're more prone to live a life based on our feelings instead of living a life based on obedience to Christ. But can I just tell you, can I challenge you this morning? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't live a life that's dictated by how you feel. Live a life in accordance with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Let Jesus define what's good for you and what's bad for you. Let Jesus define right and wrong. Stop putting yourself in God's place. Stop defining it yourself and let him be Lord in your life. And when he does, when you do that, listen, I promise you, I promise you, church, he's going to change you, transform you. I promise you, I believe this more than anything. I have this conviction in my heart, listen, that there are going to be hundreds upon hundreds of people who find life in Christ at Radiant Church. I believe that with all my heart. We're putting a stake in the ground. Listen, I, that, I have that firm conviction. And some of you are like, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, there's, there's nothing more I believe than there's going to be revival in this city. God's going to take a city known for debauchery and drunkenness and drug use, and he's going to turn it into a city known for righteousness. Come on, his best days, our best days are still ahead. Church, let me just prophetically speak over you. You won't find the answers in you. You won't find the answers in your friend. You'll find the answers in him, in him, in him. Listen, here's what, here's what, here's what needs to happen. Because some of you, I know, I know, I know. Well, I, well, that's not how I feel. I'm not talking about your feelings right now. Not all, listen, I get it. This is it. Let me just say this to you, church. In all the love in my heart, like a monster, God is responsible for the inward change in your heart. You're responsible for the outward obedience. Yeah. And you're like, well, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I don't feel it. And I would say to you, friend, keep walking in the direction of Christ. I don't feel it. Keep walking in the direction of Christ. And then maybe there's something in your life that you, you'll never have the feeling of righteousness. But I promise you, obedience to Jesus is the best life you can live right now. Obedience to Jesus is the best life you can live. Don't live for yourself. I'm just screaming at you because I love you, because I don't want anyone to be separate from Jesus for eternity. I don't want anyone to buy the lies that they've been fed. Listen, all of it's just rubbish. I want you to know Christ, him crucified, him resurrected from the grave, him glorified. I want to see Jesus glorified in your lives. I want to see you make an impact in the city. I want to see you change your lives with your testimony, with your message. I want to see some of my, my drug addict friends healed. I want to see those who have gone through hell healed. I want to see bodies that are physically sick healed in Jesus' name. I want to see some people come out of, of, of sexual relationships they shouldn't be in to be healed and to made whole, not in you, but in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. That's what I want for you. But it happens. It happens, church. It happens. It happens. It happens. Only, 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 only when we welcome Jesus as who the scripture tells us he is. As who? As Savior. Come on, church. As high priest, right? As king. And when we welcome a different Jesus, ultimately, we're probably just worshiping ourselves. Whew. I'm out of breath. All right, we're going to close here in a second.